Welcome to the Think Funny Podcast. This is Aaron Donnelly. I'm here with my co-host, Nate Sadler. Hey, everybody. And Matt Donnelly. Hello, fellas. And today, we are back. It's been a few weeks. Uh, thanks, everybody, for bearing with us. It's mostly been my fault. I uh, just work stuff coming up. but We're taking Twitter by storm. I know that. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to sink it back down, though. I've been... <laughs> I reread some of them, and damn, they're stupid. Oh, man. <laughs> Super the better. I think that's what... Yeah. My worst one ever, the one I thought after I did it, I'm like, oh, God, this is stupid, was uh, a AR-15. It's, does it stand for assault rifle? And I put it stands for Al Roker because he invented the AR-15 to fire wildly at approaching storms. That was stupid. <laughs> that's a th- I think that's our highest, and it's our highest, uh, most impressions for any uh, tweet. Put it on my tombstone. <laughs> Al Roker. Once got 50 likes on an Al Roker tweet. (laughs) Husband, father, friend. Um, We're back, and today we're going to talk about climate change. I think, it, I think Nate, we had the idea back when the Amazon rainforest was burning. I don't know if it's still burning or not, or if this is old news. I'm pretty sure it completely burnt down by now, so <laughs> we're a little late. <laughs> but uh, uh, I am curious, Nate, what are your thoughts on climate change? Do you believe it's man-made, or, or what do you think on it? Because you always uh, lean more conservative than us. So, uh, um, I would say I used to be a climate change denier, and now I'm pretty much somewhere in the middle because to deny that there's cities that are becoming almost unlivable there's a city in india that doesn't have enough water to support you know a population of almost a million people when it used to have a huge reservoir for people to deny all this stuff is just kind of silly yeah the quick the quickest uh kind of explanation as to why scientists think it's it's definitely man-made and caused by carbon dioxide emissions is because like the, the earth is constantly releasing carbon dioxide, whether it be through animals or uh, just natural processes. And it's constantly sort of breathing in and out. That carbon dioxide has a radioactive element to it. Carbon dioxide that is caused when we burn fossil fuels does not because fossil fuels are, you know, millions of years old. They're deep under the earth. At this point, the radioactive properties have sort of burned off. And so scientists can actually tell the CO2 emission that's happened from a fossil fuel burning process versus a natural process. And so they know the exact effect of us burning fossil fuels on the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. So this is like, a, in my opinion, this is not an undecided thing. It's, it's long decided that we are doing this. And anybody that's not like I watched Trump, you know, you watch his stuff and he still says it might be a hoax. We don't know. The scientific community is absolutely positive that this is caused by us. It's not a doubting thing. And I think the most interesting thing, in my opinion, is why Americans still believe that it's not man-made. So I think right. you have a lot of economic factors. And I think there was a lot of PR in the beginning to, to, to kind of dismiss it as now, you know, it's, it's just an, you know, it's a natural occurrence or it's not even happening or, you know, it's just a, you know, it's a liberal bias. I feel like people just fall in that camp. Again, it just comes back to, there's hard data. There's evidence for almost all these things that people are saying and to deny it or to turn a blind eye to it is a little silly. I will say, you know, the earth does have warmer phases and cooler phases. That has also been proven, but 
We are not helping things by all the things we are doing. Look, at there's trees growing in Greenland for the first time in 5,000 years. They might be able to actually have some arable land to plant crops in Greenland, people. Yeah. That's have not normal. The, the size of Greenland, you know, it's always distorted on flat maps. You yeah. know, when I was a kid, I would think, man, this is like the biggest country in the, you know, it's huge. And then they, if you watch a video of it, actually the size of it, it's about the size of Mexico, I think, in reality. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing about the climate change denier thing was that we've known about the impact of carbon, uh, fossil fuel burning since the 1800s. We've known that it causes more carbon dioxide in the air. Carbon dioxide what it does is it traps uh, heat energy from the sun. Carbon does. And so it heats up, you know, it's surrounding and it heats up the earth. But guys started noting this and testing this uh, over a hundred years ago. Uh, the real good studies I think came out, started to come out in the seventies. That's when you started seeing lobbyist groups start to ramp up. The big shift happened. I think there was a large study that came out in 1979 that showed that climate change was man-made. And then Reagan got elected in 1980, and his EPA guy and Reagan himself really spun this thing about how it was a, a hoax or something driven by the liberals to stop the economy and, and, and go uh, almost like a socialistic type thing. Because this, the solution to this problem is a socialistic solution. It's a large governmental, large worldwide solution. And so that scares a lot of people to try and come up with something to develop on that on a large scale. It affects free markets. But as far as the 90s were concerned, the real thing that I thought was interesting was the fossil fuel industry, like Exxon and companies like that, they hired the same marketing companies that worked for big tobacco. Those marketing companies started using the same tactics and the same playbook as they did with big tobacco back in the day, just try and get misinformation out there to get doubt out there about the tobacco caused cancer. They did the same thing in the starting in the nineties about that, that climate change isn't real. And they spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars trying to promote this to the public to basically dig in their heels and slow down any regulation. But those companies, that's what they do. If you're an oil company and you're not into solar and wind energy and these other things, yeah, that's of course why you're going to spin some fake news. So there's still money to be made in energy. You just need to make it in a way that's sustainable. Yeah, right. I think it's that initial down. outlay of the initial investment. I mean, most of the companies are publicly traded and, you know, they're thinking about profits now. Like, and, you know, you do reporting, you know, quarterly and, you know, you, you need to look good for that quarter. And you're not right. really thinking about the long term effects. Um, you know, oh, yeah, you know, it's going to cost the short term, but in the long term, you know, we're going to end up coming out way ahead. But it's hard to do that when you're uh, accountable to shareholders. Unless you're forced to by regulation. You have to get someone in office that that believes that it's real. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, how do you even start? Right. I mean, I, I spent preparing for this. I, I watched, I actually tortured myself and watched the sequel to An Inconvenient Truth with Al Gore. So it was yeah. an hour and a half of Al Gore. <laughs> you are hearing which me is, talk. <laughs> <laughs> which is really hard to put, sit through. Um, but in it, he's got a great line and he says, you know, it's, it's not an environmental problem. It's a democracy problem. And I, you know, I think there's, there's so much truth in that, isn't it? Uh, one administration comes in and they, they, you know, they, um, come up with all these regulations and then another administration comes in and they roll them back and it's this back and forth in America because of our democracy. Uh, 
I've told Lennon, like, I think, like, your grandchildren, it will be the main issue of their lifetime. There's so much devastation to the economy that will happen because of the weather on, on coastal areas, which is where most of people live and where most poor people live, that it will be such a humanitarian crisis, it will affect the worldwide economy. I think we'll probably make it through the worst of it and we'll be dead. But you're right. I mean, it's... Speak for yourself. They're freezing my brain, so... (laughs) (laughs) Future generations are going to need it. They're going to need me, Ted Williams, and Walt Disney. The main effects of climate change are... Are, you know, going to be the hurricanes, the uh, the flooding, and the droughts. The problem is you're not going to just have migration. You're going to have mass migration. Like this city in India, this city may not be inhabitable in 10 years. This reservoir that was outside of town is completely dry. And it's a city of like eight or 900,000 people. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to go somewhere else. Well, 900,000 people moving somewhere else is a problem. It's so many things combined. It's, it's also like you're cut, people are cutting down uh, ra- the rainforest in order to make agricultural land. And that's a problem because the forest itself like absorbs, I, I forget how it works, but sometimes a lot, if you have large forested areas, it absorbs some of that heat. Whereas if you just have a plain field, it bounces it back up into the atmosphere and sort of exasperates the problem. At the same time, you're not getting the oxygen output from the trees. The, did you guys watch the cowspiracy? documentary on netflix it's all about how cows produce methane methane is like 23 23 times more damaging to the uh to the atmosphere than carbon dioxide is but not only that but it's the land that we have to use in order to feed those cows the transportation of the food the amount of food that they eat in order to get just a full-grown cow the guy just had the simple example and he's like he showed this one guy that raised ducks in his backyard and the guy was like yeah, I raised these ducks, and they showed him like actually cutting one of the ducks' heads off and to eat it. So the guy just feeds his family with these ducks. But he had all these ducks in his backyard, and they were like, "Well, how how old does a duck be before you kill it?" And the guy was like, two years old." And they're like, "Okay, well, how much food does that duck eat in its lifetime?" And he said, "It says it eats about a hundred pounds of grain. The duck you get one pound of meat from that duck, and you just wasted essentially one hundred pounds." of grain to get that one pound of duck meat. So it's it's really like inefficient way to produce food. And you think about cows, how much food they eat in a day, how much water they drink in a day. It's like, it's like uh, 20 to 30 gallons of water a day and like couldn't be 20 pounds of food. And then that's, that's just one day. If you think about the whole infrastructure of it, um, how much food is being an energy and time is being used to make this cow meat. It's really inefficient. Have you guys seen the Burger King commercial for the uh, Impossible Burger? I so, actually had one today. Really? Yeah. And I have to it. say, the you know, the bar for a Burger King burger is very low, but yes. I have to say that it does not taste different. It it tastes like it tastes like uh, hamburger meat. It also reminds me of when uh, my friend tried to go get a veggie burger at Burger King twenty years ago, and uh, when he ordered it, um, he got a bun with uh, lettuce and tomato in it. <laughs> that was their veggie burger twenty years ago. But at least they have something now that somebody could order. I always watch these documentaries, and I think, yes, I'm going to be a vegan. And then I just go about my life, and the next time I think about it, like I'm eating a hamburger, I'm like, oh yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna do that vegan thing. <laughs> 
I don't even know. I still don't even know what vegan. I don't know the difference between vegan and vegetarian. So yeah, is vegan it, is no animal product at all. So no cheese, milk, eggs. Vegetarian is no live animal meat. Okay, basically. gotcha. I think that's the basics of it. But my daughter Lennon has been a vegetarian. She's 16 now. She's been a vegetarian for eight, nine years. I don't know, a long time. There was one point where I was going through like the divorce, and like I, <laughs> like all my money was like tied up or or gone, and I was like, okay, Lennon, let's have let's have a cup of noodles. You like cup of noodles, right? And she's like, yeah. And so then I I made it for her, and then she was reading the label, and it had like two percent chicken something, <laughs> and she was like. <laughs> No, I go, Lennon, it's probably from like a dead chicken. He probably lived a long and successful life. And she's like, never. <laughs> you guys heard of Greta uh, Thunberg, the uh, the Swiss uh, activist? Yes. Who has uh, crossed, I guess, crossed the Atlantic in a solar-powered uh, power yacht and then is over here now. And, and as we speak, she might still be protesting outside the White House. She's like organized a protest today with hundreds of young people. Mostly, and then I was going to, you know, speak at the UN um, when they had their climate, cl- annual climate change meeting. I think uh, uh, maybe next week. Um, but it's pretty inspiring. Um, I know she's been up for a Nobel Prize. You know, being only sixteen, I think that's. I think that's what gives me hope the most is this new generation that that seem that believes in the science and that is out there and saying this is this is going to be the world that that we live in. And you know, they're already out there and they're protesting and they're uh, doing the things that they can do at 16 years old that's impressive to me this, I, mean, I think that's it's what that's what gives gives me hope this generation i mean say what you want about certain things about millennials but they do care about things that's something they that's unique about them is they really do care deeply about things which that's now, an Nate, admirable you, trait i i get it too why republicans or red state people don't like liberal blue state some of the like especially the environmental people like i live in an area where it's super liberal and all you do all day is look at and you see like guys like super skinny guys wearing sandals riding an incumbent bikes and and then uh you know you talk to them and and they're always super passionate about they're like you have to have some element of not taking yourself so seriously and not being so hardcore that you can't even be a, you feel like you're not talking to a normal, a real person sometimes with that, those types of people. So I, I totally get that and why that would bother people. But don't you feel like both sides are like that now? Like, yes, I am more conservative probably than you guys, but it feels like both sides are so like just dug into their foxholes that like nobody has a sense of humor about anything anymore. And like life is absurd and it deserves to be just laughed at and lampooned most of the time. People don't want to do that. They just want to be deeply offended by whatever passes them by. And to me, that's just stupid. You know, it's good to feel passionately about things. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, you gotta, you got to have the ability to laugh at things too. You got to have both those things. Yeah, I was, I was looking at some articles uh, in preparation for this, and, and there's some articles out there about right now. You know, the big, the big feeling people get with climate change is is fear. And their take on it was, can we solve climate change problem with humor? And that's a really hard thing to do, Nate. But I, Aaron, Aaron, but I think that, uh, like you said, people have to start stop taking things so seriously um, and so entrenched. 
And they were, just ideas came out with the Green New Deal, you know, and, uh, and all of a sudden people dug in, dug their heels in uh, on both the right and the left. And, you know, the right saying, oh, you know, you're going to take away my hamburger and, you know, kind of making fun of it. And the left saying, oh, you, you're just dismissing it and you're not taking things seriously. And look, you can destroy the earth and blah, blah, blah. But there weren't much, there wasn't much humor in the middle. <laughs> And that's right. a really tough thing to do. I don't. I, I was thinking about that, and I was like, "Wow, you know how 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 can we do that? How can we lighten the mood?" And it's just it seems like a really tough task. I just you got to get back to things that aren't biased, which are just numbers. If people just everyone understood the actual science that was clearly understood, and just the numbers of it as to what we need to do, and what, if we don't do it, what's going to happen? It's not political. It's not religious. It's not anything. It just is. It's reality. But you're right, man. It's 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 not based on numbers. People's opinion of climate change is not based on the science. It's based on their worldview, uh, what they what they how they view the world. Are they dig, dug in to reject it or to embrace it? And I think you know, I think economics, could, you know, instead of humor, maybe economics could really do it because I, you know, if, if people knew that they were going to be able to save a ton of money by you know doing certain things that are also good for the environment, people would do it. I mean. I think that it has to do right now with the price of gas being so low. I mean, I, I think if, if gas was $5 a gallon, people people would not be driving these huge, you know, SUVs and trucks and everything else. People would be in higher demand for, you know, hybrid electronic, electric vehicles. But with, you know, the price of gas being so low, it's like, no, you know, I, I, you know, I don't care. Um, you know, I, I, and I drive an SUV. I'm, I'm just as hypocritical as well. As well. And I think one, <laughs> what's the, what, you know, it's kind of funny is that on one side you have, People wanting to roll back regulations so much. I don't know. I heard about this that they're they're rolling back regulations on the light bulb. Did you guys hear about this? I heard uh, something about it. What was the exact thing? Well, about it? you know how they there was a big push to make light bulbs more energy efficient, yeah. and they've scaled that back so that the companies don't have to do that as much as they used to. Which seems really odd because I, I love the new light bulbs. I mean, you save money on them. You know who who doesn't like to do that on energy costs? I'm. I'm one of those people that look at the temperature in the, in the house and I, you know, I, I adjust it up as high as I can get it before uh, my wife complains that she's starting to sweat. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm really frugal with energy just personally like that, that it just seems weird to things that are working right now to scale them back so that we go back to the old light bulb. Yeah. I want to go in and demand the, mo- the most least efficient light bulbs, <laughs> but fine. Put them all through my house. <laughs> you have like a thousand dollar a month energy bill. That'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, stick it to who exactly? <laughs> right. See, there's there's room for both of a lot of things. There's there's room for coal workers to still have their jobs and for there to still be some coal plants. But why can't we also build more solar arrays? Why can't we? Uh, you know, invest more money in research on uh, this algae fuel substitute. Why can't we do both until until one is either we've used it up or we've made the other one economically viable enough to phase the other out? You know what I mean? And then you still have jobs. Those jobs will just migrate to a different uh, industry. The whole thing is, is really sad because you have these people who for generations had worked in that industry and now that industry is, is dried up. Yeah. It's not the future, and they know it too. And they're like, I, I watched this interview with this one guy. He's like, I'm 58 years old. I, I I've worked in a coal mine my whole life. I'm not going to go to college. I can't get a degree. And it's true. It's it is sad. But I appreciate. I don't know if you guys have ever driven through like West Virginia. You just kind of see and feel like that. It's a kind of gritty, hardworking state. And 
you know, I appreciate those people and they work hard and, you know, their, their daddy was a coal miner and his daddy was a coal miner. And I appreciate that, you know, they work hard and they take pride in what they do. And I appreciate that. It's not that we need to stop it right this second. It's just, it's not a future sustainable thing. You know, gradually it needs to be tapered off. It's going to go away someday anyway. Or apply some kind of tax revenue on the new energy to help educate or maybe provide social services to the people that were stuck in the old energy. But you're right. They're good. They're good people that just want to provide for their families that just happen to be in a bad situation. It's like being in the VHS tape business. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's going away, baby. A real old roommate of mine, college buddy, uh, was working on Blockbuster and they were, uh, he was in the Blockbuster management program and they were trying to sell him on, you know, a career at Blockbuster. And, Man, I mean, it's a good thing he didn't really go all in for that. I walked into a video rental place in college, and I I said, hey, can I get an application? And she said, we're all losing our jobs. <laughs> I walked out. <laughs> I think eventually changes will have to be made. I mean, I think it'll get to a point where things will be desperate enough. Things will start rolling. But do you think it's going to be five years, 10 years, you know, or longer than that before we see actual, you know, change in things? I think what has to happen is, this is sad, but it has to affect a rich white population somehow. It has to affect a major American city somehow. And it has to be directly seen as an element of climate change. That will spark a change, I think. If it's a huge economic disaster and affecting rich white people, just my opinion. Eli, I think you're right. And if Malibu, California starts, you know, um, becoming inhabitable, I think that's really going to start changing. Although people do. Uh, what if yeah, those actors. New York City itself? Who knows? It's hard to say because it feels like nothing ever really causes change. It's just change happens very slowly in our culture. Even with gun violence and everything else, you think this is it. And it's not it. You know, it takes forever. Do you guys remember that whatever happened to the ozone layer that was, remember when we were in middle school? Remember they and, told you not to use too much hairspray or deodorant right, because it was putting right. a hole in the ozone layer and then that completely stopped. Right. What happened yeah. with that? Did we, know. did we burn it all off? <laughs> it's gone. I mean, I, I don't know. I, tried, I looked it up a little bit and I guess it, it's, it's somehow it stayed because, you know, there was enough uh, pushback on it so that the hole is not any bigger. But it didn't get any smaller, so I guess it's just not a concern anymore. Remember how yeah. often how often that would be talked about, though? Like you'd be like, "Oh God," because there was always talk about the hole in the ozone layer. And uh, yeah, I just think of Aquanet even today. Yeah, think, that's all I think about. Which I had to, or Jenny had some for some reason because I bought a potato gun at a garage sale, and I was like, "Do you have any hairspray?" And she's she found this old bottle of Aquanet. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know they still made this. Yeah. Like those spray deodorants. They still make spray deodorant. And I don't know who uses that. Does Denny use spray deodorant? Uh, yeah, I think he switched to stick. But I'll ask him. He's coming uh, He's coming to visit on uh, Friday and Thursday. So yes. That's right, yeah. How about we have Denny on? Oh, man. I would love to have Denny on. Get him in the studio. We'd lose our I jobs. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was. It's odd that you know the countries that have withdrawn from the the Paris Agreement. I think we're we're one of the few with like Syria and some of the other good <laughs> we're and good outstanding nations. <laughs> yeah, if America is going to be around in three hundred years, you have to protect the environment. 
or else our economy will be gone. We're well on our way. I had another way. theory too, um, and I don't know if maybe we could do this next week or another week, is the Mandela effect, and that uh, yeah. we're actually living in an alternate parallel universe because the universe ended in 2012. So, <laughs> so that's why climate change has gotten so bad because we're not actually living in the universe that we're supposed to be living in. I love I looked at the Mandela effect when she brought it up and it's so fascinating. A big part of it's like the Berenstein bears. Yeah, I know. I know. We should do this. Do you want to do this next week? Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. Nate, have you looked at it at all? No, I haven't yet. Huh? Oh man, you. I think you'll love it because it's a good conspiracy theory out there. Is on the Berenstein Bears that a lot of people like swear that it was Steen. The spelling was S T I N, and it's not. It's S T A I N. But people truly believe that they saw Steen. Uh, basically, Nate, just uh, quick, you know, when uh, the Stern Collider, uh, yep. they discovered the the God particle. Yeah, the God no, particle, sure. right? Yeah. Well, when they discovered that, uh, July fourth, two thousand twelve, it uh, created. It ended our universe and created an alternate universe. So everything going forward from July fourth, two thousand twelve, um, actually isn't really re- isn't reality. It's this alternate re- reality that we've um, that we are living in. Interesting. <laughs> so, that is interesting. But I'm one that I swear is Bernstein. Uh, I'm one of those Aaron. But there's a fun list that I think would be fun to go through. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was that. Until you yeah. guys said that, so it'd be fun. I think there's a there's a whole like oh man, there's sites dedicated to it, and there's a lot of things that people are like, what? That's not true. So I think it'd be fun to go through them. Yeah, I'll check it out. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to the Think Funny Podcast. Uh, it's good to talk to you guys again. Thanks uh, my co-host, uh, Nate Sadler and Matt Donnelly. This is Aaron Donnelly. And we'll see you guys next week. It stands for Al Roker because he invented the AR-15 to fire wildly at approaching storms. That was stupid. Thanks for listening to Think Funny. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to like subscribe, and tell a friend. If you have comments or topics for the guys, you can email them at thinkfunnypodcast at gmail.com. And check out aarondonley.com for today's show notes and much more. That's A-A-R-O-N-D-O-N-L-E-Y dot com. <laughs>